Our text this morning uh, is found in John uh, chapter 8. It's uh, printed here in your bulletin. Let's uh, read God's word together. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, and yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if Abraham, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. Man has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of liars. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is God of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is because you are not of God. Now this is God's holy and inerrant word. Let's pray for the preaching of his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. You have not left us in the dark in this world that's fallen. In a world every day where we read in the papers of of the evil that is perpetrated on one another. Uh, But you have given us uh, your word. You've revealed yourself in the creation so that what is seen makes man without excuse. And we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. But you've also given us your word. The light and darkness, but ultimately, Lord God, you sent your Son, who is the Word, become flesh. And we would see Jesus today. Father, we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit. For, Lord, we as natural men cannot understand the things of God, nor, as our text says, do we desire to. But, Lord, it's in the work of your spirit and seeing the beauty of Christ and who he is and what he's accomplished 2,000 years ago. 
that our lives are changed day by day from glory to glory. So, Father, I pray for those who've never had ears to hear or eyes to see, that you would give them the courage to look at this text and that you would open their eyes. And, Father, for us who do know you, who become dull of hearing because we do not exercise what we know, Lord, we ask again that you would work in our lives. And so we ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. And you could say the Gospel of John is really divided into two parts. Uh, the first part is the prologue. It's John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And then there's the rest of the book. And the prologue is an astounding piece of literature. It has these astounding statements about who Jesus Christ is. So I want to read just a few of the verses because this is the first part of John. But just listen again. Just just listen to the magnitude of what's being said. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the light, life was the light of men. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet did not know him. And he came to his own people, and his own people received him not. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, uh, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. Now, that's the first part. It, it, that, we could do the benediction now, right? I mean, it's mind-blower, unless you're just skipping along the top of it. Yeah, Jesus Christ, Christmas, Son of God, born of a virgin. Versus the reality of God in the flesh. Now, the rest of the book. The rest of the book is Jesus Christ himself confirming what John wrote. That's what the rest of the book's about. Jesus is basically saying, what John wrote is true about me. Now think about it. If the things that Jesus said about himself were said by anybody else, 
we would absolutely think they belong in a mental institution. They would be mentally ill. But you know, here's the reality. The reality is we celebrate Christmas. The whole Western world, every Christmas... Because he's not a madman. Down up underneath, the Western civilization, there is this sense that even though men and women suppress the truth, man, it pops out at Christmas time, doesn't it? He's God incarnate. And he's come into this world. And he's come for us. And so the first part of John that we've been reading all the way up to our text, Jesus is saying, I am. I am the one. But as soon as he does that, as he's coming out more and more, there is more and more conflict with Jesus from his own people. It's not the Gentiles. It's the covenant people of God. And so our our text tells us that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So, now we're coming to the end of his life. And the text that we're reading is just a few months before he is to be crucified. And he's saying... Okay, I have revealed the Father, but now I am going back to the Father. And this is what he says. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. He says, I'm going away, and you will seek me, but you will not find me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Now, imagine there's a, there's a crowd that's there. And some continue to remain obstinate. They're like, okay, fine. But apparently, it rattled the cage of another number of people that were there. Right? So, I mean, think about it this way. If this is true, that if you're not in Christ, and it's the truth, and he were to say to you, you have rejected me. And therefore, you can't come where I'm coming and you will die in your sin. That should rattle your cage if you don't know Christ. Well, it rattled their cage. Well, some of them. And so John, in John chapter 30, at the end of that, that, that engagement, right before we come to our text, it says many believed. Then we come to the the following text that we began to look at last week. And so Jesus says, okay, for you that believe, I want to tell you some good news. And so he says that if you abide in my word, and he's telling the people that believe. Okay, it's very important to understand. Because it's going to have everything to do with you this morning. Everybody in here. But he gives a condition clause, and the condition clause is not if you know me or know the, know the truth, but if you abide in the truth. And that literally means to live in it, that you, you just walk into the house of truth, and that's where you abide now. Then you'll know the truth. And then you'll be set free. 
That's what he says to these people. There's nothing wrong with what he said. For any Christian is going to go, well, you know what? That's true. As a matter of fact, I've discovered that in my life. The more I study, the more I read the word, the more all of a sudden my eyes are lifted off all the ideas that are out here in the world. And they're lifted to the Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. And life is beginning to make sense to me. Or not. For those who skip along the truth. And so, notice how they respond. I mean, here's, he said, I, listen, you know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Then all of a sudden, we begin to start getting a peek into the heart of them and maybe into our own heart. For notice what he says. They say, well, they answered him and they said, well, what? We're, we're Abraham's offspring and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? At this point, Jesus, everything starts pivoting, not only to his person, but now it starts going to pivot to his work because his response to them who thought that they were free is this. Truly, I say to you that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So in other words, Jesus did not come into this world to be your co-pilot. He did not come into this world to be your helper. He did not come into this world to be your therapist. He did not come into the world that when things are hard and down deep, you know that Jesus Christ really is God. And, you, and you know, the, the foxhole prayers, Lord, have mercy upon me. My finances are bad. My marriage is falling apart. My life's falling apart. He came into the world. If you know right now that you're a slave to sin and there's nothing you can do, nothing you can do to release yourself from this bondage, he came into the world actually for you. To save you from your bondage, which is your sin. Now, let me ask you. Has any, is, can anybody deny in this room right now that there's, Christian or non-Christian, but, but certainly if you're not a Christian here, can, can, you, can you not, can you deny that it's hard to change? I mean, even as a Christian, I've read a lot of good self-help books like, you know, um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey, it's a great book. Problem is, I just can't like do it. Exactly. Jesus came into the world to be both your savior, to save you from your bondage, to take all your sins upon you. All gone. So that you might know the freedom of service to him. To live for him. And that is freedom. And the more you move from the first aha experience into living this out, the more and more, all of a sudden, what you don't see becomes more real than what you do see. And you begin to see that everything you don't see is governing every aspect of your life. And that's awesome, isn't it? Now, personally, I think that means every day is not boring. Every day is, wow, what are you going to do today, God, even if it's to let me fail? 
So you might show me your love again. So now here's where we come to our text. He's going to make a distinguishment between you this morning. And and, and I'm assuming most of you are church. Most of you go to church. Maybe some of you are here and you're not believers. Maybe you've never been church. You've never been baptized. But this is very relevant because you can almost sit back and look at what he's saying to the covenant people of God. And so what we're going to look at today is to look at the difference between being children of the church and the children of God. I just have two points, which is good. But I got a lot of sub points, <laughs> two points. So, so follow me, this with me. And then I want you to be honest enough to go, okay, this text is not Hal Farnsworth confronting me. Now, again, some of me gets in there and, you know, we all, even ministers don't always interpret the scriptures correctly. Okay, that doesn't do away with the reality of what it says. But I, I want you to see what Jesus is saying To you who are baptized, to you who are members of the visible church, but not the invisible church, and to you who are members of the invisible church, that the fact that you're in it should cause you to live this incredible life of repentance. Lord, why are you so good to me? Why are you so kind to me when so many seem to be so blind? So here's the first thing. What are the marks of those who are children of the church, but not the children of God? Here, here, number one, they assume they're God's children. Now, the context is, well, we're children of Abraham. How can you tell us uh, that you'll set us free when we're already free? We're fine. We're covenant people. And God made promises to Israel. So who are you to tell us that God's not going to keep his promise? You understand? But that's a national entity. And Israel was always the church in the Old Testament. But not all of Israel is Israel, according to Paul in Romans chapter 2. He says, Not those who are circumcised in the flesh, but those who are circumcised in the heart. And so Jesus says to those who assume that everything's fine. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So he's saying that he's still making the promise of freedom, but he's not saying, I'm going to free you from the Romans. I'm going to free you from your financial problems. I'm going to free you from your life of boredom or whatever it is. He's saying, I am going to free you from your sin. Now, Has that happened in your life? That this freedom that Christ has purchased so that you have all the liberty to even fail? Or do you just assume that? Now, let me tell you why I know a lot about assumptions on these things. It's because uh, I grew up in the South. 
And this is a particular problem with people in the South. Would y'all say that's a particular problem? And, of course, uh, most people, many, many people are not being church today. But, you know, I grew up in the South. I grew up church. I'm so thankful that my mom and dad, they took me to First Presbyterian Church in, in Greenville, South Carolina. But we were a nominal family. My, we never had family devotions. My dad, I, I'm, I'm thankful he had, had me in the church because there's great advantages for being in the church and sitting under the preaching of the word. But as far as I can tell, nobody in my family knew Christ. <laughs> I mean, we went to church and we believed in the Apostles' Creed and we were, you know, so, so we're good. I'm fine. And if someone were to ask me uh, if I was a Christian, and maybe you would be this way, you'd say, well, of course I am. I'm not a Hindu, right? I'm not a Hindu. I'm not a Muslim. I'm an American and I go to church. Uh, and therefore, um, I'm fine. Well, that seems to be the attitude of the Jews who were God's people. Right? Don't you see that in the Old Testament? I mean, just over and over and over and over and over again, we're God's people, we're God's people. And yet, the reality is, they had no love for God, and they had no love for one another. But here's the reality. It was better to be them than to be the nations that never saw God come down, come down on Mount Sinai. So we have all these advantages, right? I think, yeah, listen, I'm, I really want to speak to your covenant children. They're getting ready to go to college, or maybe you've, you're off at college, you're coming back for Thanksgiving. I, I believe you've been in a church where the gospel of Jesus is preached. I believe that you've been in a church where you have observed youth ministers who love Christ and youth workers who love Christ. Men and women who've made sacrifices. And so you have this wonderful, uh, wonderful testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you assume because you're simply baptized and member of a really good church which, you know, preaches the gospel... But you have never, ever understood that Christ came to save you from the bondage of your sin. Then the problem is you understand you're you're sitting in all this and you're hearing all this truth, but you have never come to see your own sin and your desperate need for Christ. Now, y'all have heard me use this illustration before. But I would say this to, to those who assume, I'm, I'm fine. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm not here. My, my goal is to not make you who are Christians to go, well, I don't know if I'm a Christian, even though that's not always bad. I'm, I'm really here to challenge church people who profess Christ. But think about it this way. And I know I've given this illustration before. We have several members at Redeemer that have cancer. And they go to treatment. You know why they go to treatment? Because they're like, oh, that thing is cancer. <laughs> right? I, I can imagine getting the C word. I'm looking at a couple of cancer people out here. And so what do you do? Once you're convinced you have cancer, you go and you sit in that room and they put radiation to kill that cancer. But if the nurse is in that room and she doesn't have that lead thing on, I don't know, I haven't been to... Fortunately, I've not been in that situation. I don't know if they still wear lead, but I remember when I was a kid, even you go to the dentist, they'd put the lead on, you know, the vest and all that. But imagine, 
The very thing that's curing that person is killing the healthy person. You see, and Jesus is concerned about this, and these people are just going, wait a minute, we have God's favor, we're the covenant people of God. So, so that's the first thing. To, to assume that you're a believer when you really have no real interest in Christ. And I think that's clear in our text. But the second thing to see is the mark of somebody who is a child of the church, but they're not a child of God, is that they have no interest in the Bible. They have no interest in his word. Now, where do you see that, Hal? Notice what he says in verse 37. Listen, I know that you're offspring of Abraham. I know that. Yet you seek to kill me. Because my word finds no place in you. Now Jesus just got this saying, hey, if you're my disciples, if you abide in my word, if you're living in the truth, then my truth will continue to unlodge those things in your life that set, that set you free. You know, what your wife thinks about you, what your husband thinks about you, what your teachers, what your friends, what ministers... Uh, you know, what their congregation thinks about them compared to the other minister. There, Jesus says, if you abide in me, I will set you free from that. But it's abiding in it. But Jesus says to God's covenant people, the children of the church, but my word finds no place in you. There's no interest in the word. You know, yesterday I did a wedding in Atlanta. It's always interesting doing weddings in a very post-Christian era, right? So you always have lots of unbelievers there. But yesterday is, is I'm charging the husband and the wife. And they're both believers that they're going to be here, members of Redeemer, Nick and, uh, and Rebecca. So excited to have them here. It was a great wedding. So here I am, and there are a lot of people that aren't believers that are there. But so, so I start giving that charge, right? And, uh, and I'm reading Genesis. And, uh, and then I begin to talk about the distinction between a man and a woman. What a Christian man is a calling. You men who are Christians to lay your life down for your wife, that, that, that's it, right? And for you who are wise... To submit unto your husband, even as Christ, though he's equal with God, submitted to the Father and gave himself to die for us. So there's this couple that was sitting to my right. Man, they're holding hands. And they're just nodding their head. Man, this is great. So I made sure I looked at them a lot. But man, you could see with so many people. And I'm, you know, I'm doing everything I can to speak the gospel powerfully just people like man when is this guy gonna get done (laughs) right so we can go drink beer and have a good time now i have no problem having a good time but in the context of the wedding the wedding where jesus made the wine he's the centerpiece of it let me ask something (laughs) it was so funny todd you read it actually shows the Old Testament lesson. Good job. A lot of scriptures there. Right? But there's two ways that you're going to look at that. You're going to go, oh my goodness. 
When's he going to get through with this? It's because the word finds no place in you. But then there are those who are believers that are here, who are sons of God, daughters of God, who've been born of the Spirit, and they love to read right along. Wow, that's my history. So that's the second thing. Do you see that? That His word finds no place in you. And then the third mark of of being a a son or daughter of the church, but not being a, a child of God the Father is they have no, there's no desire to be, to be obedient to the Father. Verses 39 through 34, And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. That is not what Abraham did. Now, Jesus doesn't disagree. He doesn't say, no, you're not. He he does not disagree. Yes, you are. You're the children of Abraham. No doubt about that. But again, you're still thinking in terms of the flesh. But if you were truly Abraham's children because it wasn't of the flesh that Abraham obeyed the law of God, it was because God chose him. Because God gave him faith. And though Abraham did fail, he loved God. And he believed God. And you're talking about abiding in a relationship with God. Do you know, here's this guy who's willing to give up his wife, not once, but twice, because he was afraid he would die, who is willing toward the end to sacrifice his own son, and Hebrews tells us, because he had walked with God so long to see the goodness of God that he believed God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. There you have it. He was a man of faith. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, he talks about the gospel being the, 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 the obedience of the faith. Or faith that leads to obedience. Faith that leads to obedience. Now, here's what you've got to understand. The Jews, they weren't misbehaviors. They were sticklers for the truth. Not the truth, but for obedience. Whatever man-made laws that were made, or even the Ten Commandments, they're sticklers For keeping uh, the law of God. But their obedience led to bondage. You you see, uh, it's been said many times, some people have to repent of their unrighteousness, while others have to repent of your self-righteousness. And how do you know if you're a self-righteous person? I'll tell you. if if you, (laughs) If you're mad all the time, I've said this many times. Religious people are always the most angry people. Why? Because they don't love God and they don't love people. They have to keep the rules so God will owe them something. And if he doesn't come up with it and doesn't do what he's supposed to do, then you're mad at God and everybody else. And if you're that place, let me tell you, you do not know Jesus Christ. Or let's just put this way. If you do know Jesus Christ, you are grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit of God who wants you to know the joy of obedience. Now, I can remember before I became a Christian, I I can remember thinking, I just wish this were not true. I wish there weren't a God because I knew down deep I had to give an account if there was one. I just knew that. When I was like 10 years old, I can remember thinking, man, 
I just wish maybe Jesus weren't God and God weren't true because then, you know what, I wouldn't have to worry. You know, as I was studying this, uh, Aldous Huxley says the same thing. Aldous Huxley was a, a philosopher. And I, I don't want to read what he says um, about this point. Especially if you're a skeptic. He said in the book, The Ends and the Means, he says, Yeah, I, I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning. And consequently, consequently assumed that it had none. I assumed it and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem in pure metaphysics. He is concerned to prove that there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do. For myself, as no doubt for most of my friends... The philosophy of meaningless was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. The supporters of this system claimed that it embodied the meaning, the Christian meaning they insisted of the world. There was admirably simple method of confuting these people and justifying ourselves in our erotic revolt, we would deny that the world had any meaning whatsoever. Right? So you either go one side and you you go, okay, I need to keep the rules and if I do, you know, then, but then you really don't. You hate it and even if you're keeping the rules, you don't like it. Or you go to the extreme and just go, well, there are no rules. And Aldous Huxley, at the end of his life, is admitting he came up with a worldview so he could be sexually active, apart from a biblical norm. And sexual immorality, I just hate to tell you this. I hate to put this on you. I don't care what our culture says. It, it, it will sink us, and it will sink you. Adultery, premarital sex, uh, the approval of, yeah, hey, listen, as long as they love each other, love each other that's all that matters. Jesus didn't think that. Well, then, then finally, they, they live in unbelief in verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear my word. Well, let me say this, and I hesitate to say it. But because I, I don't like to say things unnecessarily controversial. But for you young people, I want you to know, if you're like 30 and under, okay, there's a huge message out, out there. But do you know that Satan is the deceiver? He's the liar from the beginning. And then you know what? When you kind of get into groupthink in our culture, uh, and I think it's happening because we're being swept away from Christendom, and we're being swept in this postmodern create your own rules. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you um, that th- this move toward making everything the same in our culture, the same-sex marriage and all these things, it's not so much about sex. I want you to understand that. It is about the hatred of anything that's distinct, like God and man, like God is one in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like God created man and woman in his image from the beginning. And that is God's design. 
And yet I talk to young people all the time say, hey, as long as people love each other, and these are evangelical people, you know, it doesn't really matter uh, about same sex. And by the way, we have, <laughs> we, we've had, uh, I'm, I'm committed uh, to people who struggle with same-sex attraction and we've had gay people who come to Redeemer. I'm, our doors are open. But, but we need to speak the truth not so much to someone being gay or not gay. We need to speak the truth to the fact that we're all sinners and we need Christ and He will transform all of us. Well, he said, well, that was a long point one and you're right. And uh, so I have to close. And what does it really mean to be a child of God? Okay? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to come back to that next week. Can I do that next week? I might mess up my preaching schedule a little bit. But I don't want to sit here like in two minutes and say, Hey, here it is. Love God and you believe in His Word. <laughs> but there it is. <laughs> You love, if you love the Father, you would love me. And you would, you would believe my word. Can we talk about that next week? I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of gospel before you leave. Hey, listen, I, I, the, the question is that Jesus is trying, he's not trying to beat you over the head. What he's trying to go is, hey, listen, guys, I can set you free. You've got to get rid of these crazy ideas that you have about, oh, we're God's covenant people and we've been catechized. Man, some of the most difficult students I had when I was a campus minister were those that were catechized. And they'd come beat students up in, in, in my ministry over, uh, oh, wow, you don't believe in election. You don't believe in the sovereignty of God. But they had no sense of love for God or these people. Now, thankfully, I had many that did. But you understand what I'm saying? And I, I just hope and pray that none of you would not, go, would not be able to go where Jesus is going because you don't love him because he loves you. And you're just a religious person or you're indifferent. I mean, the, worst, the greatest form of hate, and I'm talking about killing, I don't want to kill Jesus. The greatest form of hate is even worse than that, and that is to be indifferent about it all. To be indifferent about Jesus who died on the cross for us. Well, we have to come to communion. Hey, can I say, Jesus loves everybody here. He wants you to know the love of the Father. And you can this morning. And if you do, it'll change your life. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the gospel of Jesus. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for Jesus. Father, if there are any who are here today that have been playing covenant child and have been baptized, but with water, but never been baptized. Baptized with your love and see Jesus loving them in all their mess and sin. Oh, Lord, would you reveal yourself to them today? I don't care how deep somebody's sin is here today. To know that Christ is for sinners. He cannot save the self-righteous or the indifferent. But those who are here to say, you know, Lord, apart from your grace, I have no hope. We pray for them today that they would see Jesus lifted up. And we ask it in your name. Amen.